Well, good news. This is the last time in 2023 you have to hear my voice. Last time in 2023. But 2024 is coming soon, right? I'm just kidding. Um, <clears throat> glad to be here with you guys today. I know uh, things today are heavy. Um, and I just, I just want to say before I start just how grateful I am that we're a church that preaches the word. Um, can, am I loud? Okay, good. I just feel like it's blaring in my ears. It's okay. Um, how, how glad I am to be a part of a church that preaches the word of God. And then being a biblical counselor, me and Lewis are always talking about how we see the word of God ministering to people's lives and how we see how God's word truly does have the answers for these things that we go through in life. And then Lewis comes and delivers a message like he did this morning. And it was just like, like he, he said something about it being the balm that we needed for the wounds that we have. And I'm just grateful for that. I, I uh, my heart is heavy, but you can't help but hear a message like that and have hope and have clarity and have, um, direction. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. Um, Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. We're going to read from 11 to 19. But before I read that, I just kind of want to say that um, we just left the Thanksgiving season, right? So we came here, we had our service where everybody shared something that they were grateful for. And it was it was beneficial to, in a lot of ways, one, to be able to vocalize what you're thankful for and to let other people know what you're thankful for, right? That's uh, We see that in Scripture and... First Peter 2 9, where it talks about that we were a chosen race and a, and a people chosen by God and that we should proclaim his excellencies. And we see all throughout the Psalms that people are, the psalmists are, are giving thanks and praising the Lord for the things that he's done. And so it's good to be here for that. But it's also good to hear other people's praises and just feed on what they were thankful for. And so it's in that. It's in that vein of us being thankful and, and continuing to try to cultivate a, a heart of gratitude and a heart of thankfulness. Lewis preached on that last Sunday, and so I kind of just want to piggyback off of that one more time and, and uh, hopefully help us to continue to create a thankful heart. Um, so I want to start by telling you a story. I, uh, you guys know I used to work for Mighty Oaks and I used to work, uh, with the veterans and we used to do biblical counseling retreats for a week for these guys that had been through some really hard times, seen some rough things, made some bad choices, whatever their lives looked like when they got there. I can tell you nine times out of ten, the men that came there weren't walking with the Lord. Um, often some of them like me had never even heard the gospel until we got to this place. And so about, <clears throat> I think it was the month before I met Lewis at the session. <clears throat> we had a man named Doug come to the session and he, um, he, he was a mess. <clears throat> and his life was not going well. And on Monday night, everybody gets there and we have them stand up. We call it the icebreaker. And we have them stand up and we have them tell us, tell us why you're here. Why are you, why did you want to come to this program? Because it's not a forced thing, right? No, no judge, no, nobody can force you to go to these program, this program. And, uh, I was working as the biblical counselor for that session. And so I was, I always take notes during that time because I want to, I want to write down what every one of these men came here for because it's always something big. And so that way I can start to formulate how I'm going to speak to these men and, and how I'm going to start sharing with them and how I'm going to start asking questions to engage with them. And I remember Doug stood up, big, huge man. I mean, 
six foot plus, I don't even know, wide, just a guy that if you ran into the alley, you would, you would not want to be in an alley with that guy in the dark. And I remember him stood up and he said, I'm here because I'm an angry old man. I'm bitter. My family hates me. I wrecked my family and I'm an alcoholic and just all these things. And as he was saying those things and I was writing these things down, I said, man, that sounds so familiar. But I was just, I'm so far removed from my own situation that I didn't even realize it was me. Like I was, that was what my life looked like before that. I, I later connected that. And so I wrote that down and later that night after those guys share, then we always have one instructor give his testimony um, to kick the, the week off. So that way the men get a chance to see somebody being vulnerable, transparent, open. And it was my night to do that. So I shared my testimony and <clears throat> went and sat down and this man, Doug came over to me and he sat down and he looked me in my face and he said, how? And I said, how what? He said, how can you, how can you have joy and happiness? How can you how can you tell us that story, but still have a smile on your face? How can you tell us that there's hope? How can you, what are you, what are you talking about? I said, it's Jesus, brother. That's it. I said, it's nothing else. And Robert is not a hero in the story. Nobody else here at Mighty Oaks is the hero of the story. It's Jesus Christ. And if that's what you want, if you want to know what Jesus Christ is about, let me challenge you. I said, I want you to go to bed tonight. I want you to read Romans 8 and I want you to come back in the morning and, and ask me questions because you're going to have questions. <clears throat> and then I also shared the gospel with him. I told him the plan of salvation. And I said, now just go and read. I don't, I'm not here to manipulate. I'm not here to, you know, try to beg you to do anything. I just want you to go read and come back and answer questions or ask me questions if you have them. And he said, yeah, fine. <clears throat> Why Romans 8? If you want to know the answer to that question, talk to me offline and I'll, I'll explain to you why I always have guys read Romans 8. If somebody said to me, Robert, you can only have one chapter of the Bible and that's it, what would it be? It would be Romans chapter 8 because everything that I need is right there. It's just beautiful. It's just, it's the most powerful and impactful chapter, in my opinion, in scripture. So Doug goes away. He reads Romans 8, comes back the next morning. Guys, I have never seen a physical change in somebody's demeanor that fast, okay? It just doesn't happen very often. Usually we get these guys on a Monday, and by Thursday they might have one smile. You can count, like, okay, this guy smiled one time, we're doing something good, you know what I mean? But this guy was completely different physically. And he sat down and he said, I want to know more. I want you to tell me more about this Jesus. I want to know... I want to know what it means to be forgiven, what it means to not walk in the flesh. I want to know how to put these bad things that I do to death. I mean, he just had all these questions. <clears throat> and so I'm going to stop the story right there. I'm going to continue it later on today, but I want you to just think about that. <clears throat> oh, so actually, I do want to say this. So as we were doing that and as he had all these questions... At the end of that, though, he did say, I almost forgot the best part. He did say, look, I don't know what a lot of this means, but here's what I do know. When I read that last night, something happened in my heart that I'd never happened before where I was aware of everything and how bad it was and how I need Jesus. What do I need to do to have this Jesus? And so we walked through, and that man, that day on Tuesday morning, surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. And he began a journey that would continue on until I got off the phone with him on Friday and asked him if I could use him for a sermon illustration. And he said, yes. So open your Bibles to Luke chapter 17. We're going to start in verse 11. <clears throat> Luke chapter 17, starting in verse 11. 
And it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God. And he fell down on, fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, Were not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith had made thee whole. Now this is a good passage, right? It's a really good passage. And what's the first thing that jumps off the off the, the paper at us is we say, okay, we can't forget to be faithful. We can't forget to be thankful. So that's what I'm going to title this message. But I want to title it, Don't Forget to Be Thankful and Don't Forget to Worship. Don't forget to be thankful and don't forget to be or, and to worship. I want to preach today in a different style. It'd be really easy for me to break this down into three or four points like a good pastor does and, and to systematically kind of work through that. I'm glad Lewis set me up when he was saying it today from the pulpit. I was like, man, this guy set me up. This is going to be really good. I don't have to worry about him maybe not liking my style. <clears throat> I read this text and I want to, I want to, I want to talk through some observations that I made walking through this text. I don't want to have point one, two, three, and four. I just want to have a few observations so that we can work through the text. And then at the end, I want to give us some heavy application. And so I want to, I want this to be more than just like a, a preaching or a, you know, I want it to be a challenge. And so at Mighty Oaks, we used to give the guys a daily challenge every single day from the Bible, first thing in the morning. And then on Friday, when we send them home, we give them a final challenge. So I kind of want to work it like that. So the first observation is in verse 11, it says, as he went to Jerusalem. Why is that there? And, and that's interesting because he was going to Jerusalem for what reason? Jesus knew and he had been telling his disciples since the beginning of Luke that he had to go to Jerusalem because that's where everything was going to take place. His journey and his ministry from you know, Galilee, Capernaum, and all those other places as he made his way to Jerusalem, Jerusalem was the final place that it would happen where he would be captured, tried, sentenced, put to death, and be raised from the dead. That's where it was all going to take place. And so we need to know that. That's why, that's why Luke puts it in there. And notice that it says, it says, and it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. We don't know exactly where. And it says, and he entered a certain village in verse 12. We don't even know exactly where he was at. Well, why not? Well, I'll tell you why. Because Luke didn't want us to focus on being able to go on a map and say, okay, Jesus was here in chapter 7, he was over here in chapter 8, he was over here in chapter 9, because that's not the point. The point is that in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, he starts a journey to go to Jerusalem, and he continues that journey. And so I'll, I'll try to do this slowly so you can write down. These are all in Luke. It starts in 951. We see it again in 1322, 1835, 1711. 1911, 1928, and 1941. All of those verses in Luke are explaining that Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem for this, these final days. And in, in, in chapter 19, he's in Jerusalem and it's over. Okay. And so those verses there are walking through that he made it to Jerusalem and, and, and it was over. <clears throat> the second thing I want us to notice or observe from this text is from verses 12 to 14, there are 10 lepers. 
right? And these ten lepers are all sick, and there's four things in this little passage that we need to notice. The first thing is, is that they had to stand far off in verse 12. That's what it says. It says, which, these ten lepers, which they stood afar off. Why? Because they were unclean. Because they weren't worthy or clean enough, I should say clean enough, to be around the other people because nobody wanted to be around that filth because they didn't want to be unclean so that they couldn't go do the things in the temple because they looked nasty. They probably smelt nasty. They were considered the lowest of the low. And how do we know that? Well, because the Jews hated the Samaritans, but the lepers that were hanging out together were Jews and Samaritans. (laughs) Misery does not care who you are. If you're all in the bottom of the bottom, like the worst of the worst, you're going to hang out together because that's just what it is, right? And so these men with leprosy, they had to stand afar off. And I want you to think about this from salvation standpoint. Before you were in Christ, before He removed the darkness from you and put the light in you so that you could see and hear what He needed you to see and hear, were we not afar off? Were we not spiritual lepers? Keep. I want you to keep thinking about that. I want you to keep thinking about this, not as a, oh, there's these ten guys with leprosy and Jesus healed ten of them and only one came back to give thanks. That's not, that, that's, that's a true point. But I want you to think about this from salvation standpoint, okay? The second thing that we notice in verse 13 is that they lifted up their voices. Why would they lift up their voice? Well, because they were afar off. And because they were afar off, you can't say, Jesus, come help me. Because he's not going to hear you. Now, I'm not trying to say that Jesus couldn't hear it because Jesus is Jesus. We know he can do what he wants, when he wants, and how he wants. But these guys don't know that about Jesus. So they're at the top of their lungs. Jesus, Master, help us. And in the Greek, that lifting up their, their voice can be translated as megas phone. Megas phone. What does that sound like? Megaphone. What do you do when you use a megaphone? You amplify your voice. Put it up. This microphone is megaphoning my voice, right? Like amplifying my voice so that you guys can hear it. And so they had to raise their voice because they were afar off and because they needed Jesus to hear them so that they could get healed. When we realized our uncleanliness, when we realized the depths of our spiritual leprosy, and that we were afar off from God. Just like my friend Doug in that story that I said, he said something happened in me and I realized how bad I really was in the depths of my sin and it grieved me to my heart. And when we went through and I, and I, I told him that he needed to pray and ask God to forgive him and to, to, to commit to turning from the world, repentance, right? That 180 degree change of mind from the world to the things of God. I asked him to do that. Brothers and sisters, when he prayed, he cried out to God. He megasphone to God. Help me, God. I don't know what this looks like, but I need you. The third thing was in verse 14, we see that it says, and when he, meaning Jesus, saw them. Uh, That's important. Why? Because I see you right now. I see you. I see every single one of you. But when Jesus sees us, it's a deeper word. 
It means he sees us. He becomes focused on us. So he saw these 10 men. He became focused on them. The the kind of focus that a mom, when she looks at her child and she cares for him, that kind of seeing. Not just, I see Sister Rachel in the, what is that, maroon-type fuchsia-colored sweater and beige uh, dress with the fuchsia shapes on it. No, no, no. I see Sister Rachel, and I love her, and I know her intimately. We're friends. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We go to church. We say hello to each other every Sunday. I care about this woman. She cares about me. So Jesus saw these men, and he focused in on them. So go back to what I've been trying to paint this picture of. When we were spiritual lepers and we realized we were far off and we had to use our voice to cry out to God, Jesus saw us. He saw us. The fourth thing that we need to see is that in verse 14, he says to these guys, he says, go show yourselves to the priest. Why? Well, because they were lepers, because they were nasty. They were, they were deemed unclean. And so in Leviticus chapter 13 and 14, if you want to, you can go read it on your own. Again, Leviticus isn't very exciting, but it's important that we know about it. And that is where they have the rules and the, the, the law about what happens if somebody's unclean and they have leprosy and how they can be deemed unclean and how they can be deemed clean. And Jesus knows that part of that is you have to get inspected by a priest before you're allowed to come back into the community, before you're allowed to interact with the people and come to the temple and worship and all of those things. So he tells him to go get clean. And isn't that awesome? Jesus is above the law, y'all. We know that, right? But Jesus still knows it and he tells him to go and do it. But there's it's a deeper meaning that, isn't it? See, because when we weren't believers and we were afar off and we had to raise our voice to God and we realized that we were spiritual lepers and Jesus saw us, Jesus made us clean so that we could stand before God because Jesus is the priest who deems us clean. Nobody else. We don't need anybody else's approval. Our pastor can't say, well, yeah, yeah, you're good. You could get into heaven. You can have eternal life with the Father because it doesn't go through him. It goes through Jesus Christ. He cleansed us with his blood. And there is no other way. See, and how do, and so he says, go show yourselves to the priest. And it came to pass as they went, they were cleansed. They went out there and they were cleansed. Jesus took care of it. And the reason why we're getting ready to get into this, the reason why this one guy comes back is because he sees some things. He, he realizes some things. But the other guys, they don't care about who it was that saved them or rescued them from their horrible situation. They care about what these priests are going to tell them. We want the priests to accept us. We want to we be accepted back into our community. And they miss the big picture. The next observation is the one leper. He's a Samaritan. And so we see in verse 15 that he, it says, when he, the Samaritan, saw, well, what did he see? Number one, he saw the grossness on his body disappear because Jesus healed him. That's, that's a given. But the most important thing that he saw was that he was spiritually bankrupt, that he couldn't do it himself, and that somebody cleansed him, and he saw and realized that it was Jesus Christ who cleansed him. And so what did he do? That's the next thing that we need to understand, is that he turned back 
and with a loud voice glorified God. Again, that loud voice, megosphone. And he went back and he praised God. So he knew that he was rescued from this, this dire situation of um, leprosy. And he knew that it was the Christ that had healed him. So he turned back to go th- be and glorify and rejoice and worship God. Rejoice with, rejoice in and worship God. Do we do that? Is that our posture of praise? Do we have a posture of praise when the Lord helps us through? Lewis talked about today that oftentimes in scripture we find the answers that we need, but they're the ones that we don't want because it's hard. And in the hard times of life, even though we get an answer, are we still praising him? Are we still thankful? Do we still turn and run to him and lift up our voice and, and use that megaphone voice to praise him and worship him and let him know we see it, Lord. We are aware of it. I don't know about y'all. I, I, I assume, but I don't, you know, you know what that does. I, but I know this. When the Lord changed my heart of stone to a heart of flesh, that first night, I slept for seven hours. That was the longest I had slept in like nine years. They came and woke me up and they said, hey man, are you going to eat breakfast? I said, yeah, I'll be right there. What's the big deal? It's like 5.30. And they said, no man, it's 8 o'clock. You're late for class too. And I woke up and I said, oh my goodness, I've never slept this long in my, and, and as long as I can remember. And I remember they left and I was sitting on my bed and I just began to cry. Because, I, man, a good night's sleep, that was worth more than anything I'd ever had in my life. Because I felt rejuvenated and I felt rested. And it dawned on me in the, in the infancy of my walk with Christ, He took that from me. He took that weight off my back. He laid me down and, and, and allowed me to sleep last night. And in my mind, I didn't even really know how to praise God. I'm not even going to lie to you. I'm not embarrassed to say it. I just, in my mind, I was just like, man, I'm so grateful. I'm so thankful. You're the man, Jesus. Because, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm just an idiot at that time. Like, I'm, you're the man, Jesus. Thanks. I was tired. So do we do that? Is that how we are with Jesus? And he fell down. The, the third thing that we see in this, this one leper situation is that the Samaritan fell down on his face in front of Jesus to give him thanks. He understood who, what, and how he was saved and how he was brought to, to be clean. And that's beautiful. It's not just about a disease, brothers and sisters. This is salvation. So go back to my friend Doug at Mighty Oaks. So the week went on. Everything was good. He got baptized at the end of the week. We found him a good church. He goes home. And I'm telling you, me and this guy, we have so much in common because he was like me when I first got saved. I used to call the guy that was mentoring me three or four times a day. Hey, I was reading in the Bible and I saw this word, propitiation. What does that mean? Hey, I was reading in the Bible and I saw redemption. What does that mean? And he just asked all these questions. And me and my friend Justin, we were the two receiving the most phone calls from this guy. And not one time did I ever remember thinking, I wish this guy would stop calling me. I would get excited for him to call me because it reminded me of the fire that God lit in me. And then it reminded my friend Justin the same fire. And we just wanted this fire to burn in this man. And I remember that he used to always tell us, 
If it wasn't for you and Justin, or if it wasn't for you and Robert and Mighty Oaks, I would never have known all this. I would never be saved. And he, he, he understood he was saved, but he didn't really understand all of it. And so we used to walk him through and just say, hey, look, instruments in God's hand is what saved you, right? Or God saved you, but we were instruments in his hands. We get zero credit. We just kept lovingly reminding him this, that it was all God in his sovereignty. It was all God in his grace and his mercy. And it was through the power of Christ and his death and his resurrection and his blood that purchased you and redeemed you. And I remember, I don't know, a few weeks ago, a couple months ago, he called me and he said, hey, Robert, um, I, I wrote this about six months ago, actually. Hey, Robert, I, I'm going back to Mighty Oaks and I'm going to be a team leader. That's a big deal, y'all. I, I know you maybe you don't understand that, but that's a big deal. You get screened, you take tests, you read books. They make sure that you are a disciple of Jesus. It's not just for the lighthearted. And he said, I'm so excited. I'm so excited that God would would choose to use me in this way. And he said, Robert, I just want to thank you and Justin for just being obedient to God and proclaiming his excellencies and sharing the gospel with me because God saved me. And he got it. It finally clicked in his mind that it wasn't me and it wasn't Justin and it wasn't Mighty Oaks and it wasn't a pamphlet, that it was God himself who chose Doug before eternity began and he was purchased with Christ's blood on the cross and his eyes were open and he saw it. And this man rejoices and he celebrates. He's still a member of the church. He's a a team leader at Mighty Oaks. And he's also going through the ACBC certification for biblical counseling because he wants to help others hear this news. Man, it's amazing, y'all. And the last observation I want to make from this passage is in verses 17 to 19, Jesus' response. He points out three truths. One in verse 17. He said, we're not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? That's the obvious truth. I love when Jesus asks questions like that because I imagine him saying it sarcastically. I hope he's saying it sarcastically and I'm not just making something up that way. I don't know. It's just, I just I want him to say it sarcastically because it would just be, it's just funny to me that he would say, hey, there were ten. Where's the other nine? One guy came back to thank Jesus. The other nine didn't care, and they wanted to go get cleansed and, and, and deemed clean by the priests. That's one truth. Second one, in verse 18, it says that there are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. That's a King James way of saying nobody else came back to give thanks but this Samaritan. And then it just reminds me of the Bible verse, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All Jews, Samaritans, Ethiopians, Germans, Americans, it doesn't matter. Everybody's fallen short. But this guy came back. And it's funny because this is like what story number two or three in the New Testament with interaction with Jesus where a Samaritan is the one that does something awesome. And the Samaritan are like down at the bottom of the food chain as far as the social castes go, right? But the Samaritan comes back and he gives thanks. And then in verse 19, he says, Arise, go thy way, thy faith has made thee whole. Thy faith has made thee whole. Jesus in this verse, it shows that faith is what heals this man. And that was his greatest need. Jesus didn't come to perform miracles to impress men. 
He came to save men and make it possible for them to have a right relationship with God the Father through him. He didn't come to put on a magic show, brothers and sisters. He came to save souls. And that's what he did that day in healing those 10 men because that man that came back was saved. He said his faith had made him whole. See, that's the good thing about my my friend Doug. He realizes that. He's grateful and he's thankful. And now he wants to give back. I don't know what this Samaritan goes on to do later on in his life. He he doesn't come back up again in Scripture. I don't know if he goes and does great things or not. But I know that all of us sitting here, that we have that opportunity. If you're saved, if you're in Christ, what are you doing with what has been given to you? How are you sharing it? How are you growing in it? How are you, how are you acting within what he's done for you? Are you doing it to the glorification of the Father and the magnification of the Son and the edification of others? Or are you doing it just, you're just marking time. You're just putting checks in boxes. See, cause I've been in churches here recently that are like that. And it's sad. I fill pulpit at churches that put checks in boxes every Sunday and they don't care about worshiping God and they don't care about going deep in their relationships and it makes my heart hurt. It breaks me inside because here we're going to get deep. Here we're going to worship. Here we're going to read scripture. Here we're going to do what this book says. It doesn't matter if Lewis wants us to wear pink socks and pink ties and that's the only way to get to heaven. No, then you know we can do what we have to do. That's not it. It's this. It's worship. It's praise. It's Christ. We're Christ-centered. We're gospel-centered. We're, we're, we're deep into our walk with God because he's given us so much. And that is what it should be. So here's the application. Here's three things that we need to understand from this passage. Number one is that we all require help from Jesus. All of us, every single one of us, we needed it at the moment of salvation and we needed it. We need it today. We need it today because we're all grieving, right? So we require some help from Jesus. How do we make sense of this, Jesus? How do we walk through this? You guys have heard me preach the sermon on Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Matthew 11, 28, it's it's the invitation. says, come to me. Come to me, all you that are heavy laden and burdened. Well, I think we're there today, are we not, as a church? Some of, some of us are also there in our personal lives and other things going on. So we need to come to Jesus. To come to Jesus, we need to megosphone. We need to cry out to God so that he hears us and so that we can let him know, just like what Lewis was saying this morning, Lord, I don't understand. My heart is broken. I am glued to the floor, glued to the dust. I'm in shambles. I'm, a, I'm that bottle full of smoke. I'm wore out and beat up. But I'm coming to you because I know that you can handle it. I know that you can heal me. I know that you can take care of me. And then when it comes to the aspect of salvation, none of us can have cleansed ourselves. We are spiritual lepers and we are spiritually bankrupt. That's what Matthew 5, 3 says. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit for they will inherit the kingdom of God. That poor in spirit, that's spiritually bankrupt. You have nothing. You have nothing to offer. We need the blood of the Lamb. Ephesians 1, 7 says, in whom, meaning Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. 
Come to Jesus because you require that help from him because you can't help yourself. Number two, we have all, sorry, we all have, are, and will receive help from Jesus. We will all, we all have, are, or will receive help from Jesus. Turn to Titus chapter two. Titus chapter two. Chapter 2, starting in verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. So invert, so we have all, we all have, we all are, or we all will receive help from Jesus. I like to talk about that when I, when I'm counseling with people, there's a past grace, there's a future grace, and there's a present grace. We all know what the the past grace was. The past grace was when we were sinners, God chose to save us. He saved us. God sent his son and his son shed his blood and purchased us out of nothing that we had to do. We didn't, we didn't lose anything doing that and we didn't do anything to gain it. It was given to us freely. Salvation. So verse 11 and 12, we have received help by way of salvation. In verse 13, we see that that's that future grace, right? We're looking for that blessed hope and that glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's us. We will receive help. That's glorification. That's when we're in heaven. We're, we're, we're living for in eternal life with God, with Christ. We're, we're in the book of Revelation. It talks about that we're singing, holy, holy is the lamb. And we're just worshiping at Jesus's feet. So that's what's, that's the, that's the future grace. But what about right now? What about right now? In the midst of what we're going through right now as a church, where we have a member of our church who just lost their daughter, where we have members of our church that maybe their marriages aren't going well. We have members of our churches that um, are um, in difficult situation with children in all different age groups from newborns to teenagers when we have financial problems, when we have, you, you fill in the blank, brothers and sisters, you know your life. I'm just throwing things out there off the top of my head. What about now? Well, there is a present grace because we are receiving help. And that's in verse 14. Jesus, who gave himself for us, that Jesus might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. So we have a past grace of salvation, a future uh, grace of glorification, and we have a present grace of sanctification. Lewis shared from Thessalonians that God's one of God's purposes in our life or God's purpose in our life is to sanctify us, to grow us, to mature us. These things that we're going through, the Bible talks about it in several places. James chapter 1, Romans chapter 5, that these trials and these things that we go through, they produce things in us. They produce perseverance. They produce good character. They produce hope. He's sanctifying us. And so we can look and we can say, I know I remember several people to include myself during testimony time said, I wouldn't change anything because we know 
This isn't it, right? We live in the here and now, but we're living for the yet to come, right? And the third thing that we have to understand is we must recognize the Jesus that helps. We must recognize that we need the great physician, and that's in Psalm 103. Turn to Psalm 103. And read verses one through six. Psalm one hundred three, one through six. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies thy mouth with good things so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He's the great physician. He heals us from these things. And it's not just the physical things because, brothers and sisters, here's the reality. I'm not trying to sell you a health, wealth, and prosperity message. We already we, we know that firsthand in this church right now. We prayed for Lisa for a year. And in the Lord's will and in the Lord's purposes, he decided to take her. Sometimes we don't get those blessings of physical healing until it's done and we're in, and we're in heaven and we're being, we're in our glorified bodies. But the wounds that we are healed from are the sins that kept us afar off from God. Those are the wounds that Christ healed us from when he was beaten, killed, and rose from the dead. The most important wounds was that that he healed us from. The other thing that we know about Jesus that we have to recognize about him is that he's the wonderful counselor. The wonderful counselor. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. We're all familiar with that. Isaiah 9 6. It says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And then I have other verses written down here. I'm not going to go to them for time. But Philippians chapter 4, 6 and 7, 1 Peter 5, 7. He's the person who he, who cares for us. That's why we cast our anxieties on him. He's who we take our prayers and supplications to when we're anxious. See, the Bible says, don't be anxious. But brothers and sisters, that doesn't mean you can't get anxious. Because then it would say, don't get anxious. God's very clear in his word, is he not? It says, don't be anxious. That means don't stay anxious. And how do we not stay anxious? We go to Jesus. He's the great counselor. All this biblical counseling that we that you see in this church, Lewis and I, that we do as a ministry work, we do that because Jesus was the ultimate example of being a biblical counselor. Because he ministered to people with the word. And then lastly, in Isaiah chapter 61, some of my favorite verses of all times, I almost could weep reading them, that Jesus, the, the Jesus that we need to recognize, we must recognize that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, and the Savior. And this is what it says. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek. And he hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn. 
There it is. Savior, the Christ, the Messiah. He comes to preach the good news, the gospel, so that he can bind up the brokenhearted, so he can heal us, so he can put us back together, right? And so that he can, that he can proclaim liberty to the captives. What are the things that are holding you back? What are the things that held you back prior to salvation? That's how Jesus Christ breaks those chains. He opens those gates. He allows you to come out from the darkness and into the light. Christ is the Savior, the Messiah. He is everything. And that's what this man who comes back realizes. So in closing, may we be a church that doesn't rely on the world for the things that only our Savior can do. And may we be a church that remembers our Savior And lastly, may we be a church that rejoices because of what our Savior has done, is doing, and will continue to do for us in our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your Son. Thank you for salvation, Father. Thank you for loving us enough to choose us to send your Son to die for us. Thank you for your word, Lord, that it ministers to our hearts in times of need. Thank you, Lord, for providing Jesus to heal us from our greatest deficiency, that spiritual leprosy that we all had at one point. And Lord, for those that are still afar off, even though they sit maybe in this room right now, I pray, Lord, that you would work their heart, that the spirit would come upon them and change their heart of stone to a heart of flesh. Lord, call your chosen people to yourself. And Lord, let us as a people rejoice with you. Lord, may we never forget to be grateful. May we never forget to worship. We love you, Lord, and we say this in your name. Amen.